With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. On September 18th, Atlanta United has defeated Cincinnati 2-0 here at Nippert Stadium on a beautiful night in Southern Ohio. Uh, Joseph Martinez with both goals, bringing his total to 26 this season, and he has now scored in 15 consecutive league games, and it was his 19th multi-goal game in MLS. Brad Guzan's 14th shutout, league-leading 14th shutout this season. Uh, but it wasn't as easy as I may be making it out to be. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Longshore of 92.9 FM and SoccerDownHere.net. And, of course, you can find me at Doug Robertson AJC on Twitter, at Atlanta United News Now on Facebook, or please consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Jason, this game... For the first half, reminded me of a lot of Atlanta United's games earlier this season in which they had 70% of the ball but only one shot on goal because Cincinnati just was not going to come out and play. Yeah, yeah, Cincinnati was very defensive. Um, not quite bunkering because they were trying to find ways out through the flanks. They were trying to replicate what Columbus did. They just don't have as much talent as the Columbus crew. Um, Atlanta also was very focused on being patient, but also being organized. And, and they handled it pretty well outside of maybe a five to six minute span where Cincinnati had a couple of chances. Um, I think the the Opta folks might have had as, as much difficulty as we did seeing some things because Teton made two saves in kind of quick succession in the first half. And Atlanta was only credited with one shot on goal somehow. Um Second half was different. I think what Atlanta did was they started to push the pace a little bit more. They started to play a little faster. And Cincinnati struggled to play at that pace. And then once you got a goal and Cincinnati had to come out a little bit, they can't play with a team like Atlanta. I thought the key simply was Atlanta United took advantage of Cincinnati pouring numbers forth on the corner kick and beat them on the counter. Well, um, yeah, no, no, on that goal, of course. I mean, yeah. to get the goal, yes. Yeah. But the second half, Atlanta was playing better in the first 15 minutes before the goal, in my mind, because they started to just go a little faster, a little more direct at times. They conceded some of the possession as the second half went on, but they were probably a little more dangerous in the second yeah. half as well. I am just goofy enough to wonder sometimes when you're facing a team that's bunkering, why you don't just give them a corner kick just to make them get the numbers forward and see if you can beat them on a counter down the field. Atlanta. Uh, and, and it worked tonight. Yeah. But the goal, just to talk about that goal first, for a second, goal. it yeah. was a fantastic goal. Joseph Martinez, he actually started his run 
at the six yard. Yeah, because he was box, on the near post on the set piece. Picked up the ball, probably eighty yards from goal. Yep. Or so. Nice pass to Pitty, who was the outlet up top. Good ball from Hindman to Joseph too, and Joseph took it in stride. It looked like, and, and maybe I'm thinking this because we're in a college football stadium. It looked like a like a bubble screen type of play <laughs> where he takes it in stride and just beats everybody initially. But then the one-two with Pitti. Yeah, then he hit the, the ball to Pitti, who was about uh, halfway, um, just a little bit off to the left. Pitti split two defenders, just horrible angles by those defenders, to Joseph Finstrad again. He took a couple of touches, easy goal. Uh, Frank DeBoer actually liked Joseph's second goal more than oh, he liked the first goal. The second goal uh, is unbelievable. <laughs> Joseph waited on two defenders to commit, the first defender got back up again and came back for a third try, but by then Joseph had spotted the goalie and curled a left-footed shot into the opposite corner. And the second goal, too, involved others contributing to it. The first goal, you had the punch from Gazan, you had the ball from Hindman into space. The second goal, Tito Vialba, who had come on as a sub for Pitti right after that goal. I think that sub was already worked out. Yeah, I've got a little bit about that, too. Okay, cool. Yeah. So... Tito fights for it, knocks the ball loose. It comes to Gressel, who plays a one-time ball in to Joseph to see if he can make anything of it. He backheels it to himself, like over his head. It's like a, I don't even know what to call it, a reverse sombrero to himself in some way. And then beats the defender, puts the other defender on the ground. First guy tries to get up and get there. He can't do it. And it's maybe the best goal Atlanta United's ever had. It's that good. <laughs> it was uh, it was a spectacular goal. Back to that sub. The sub was actually supposed to be Tito for Justin. Okay. But then when they scored that goal, Frank said, well, now since he's going to have to come out and Tito's going to have that space, let's put him in his preferred striker slot and let him attack from there. Yep. So that's why Justin came in. And assuming that was the conversation that Justin was having with Frank when he came off, is why did you wait so long to sub me out? Right. Uh, but that, that was the reasoning behind that I uh, got to talk to uh, Joseph a little bit after the game. He thought that the uh, first goal was more difficult than the second goal, and that the first goal obviously was more important than the second goal. He has still not found his missing dog. So if you see, it looks like a gray Weimaraner type of dog. Uh, there's notes about it on social media. Anyway, um, Joseph said he's not thinking about the golden boot. You'll read all this in a story tomorrow. Um, not thinking about trying to catch Philadelphia and NYCFC for first place. He said they were stupid against Columbus. They were the better team. They should have won, mm-hmm. but they made too many mistakes. Um, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chime in from FIFA.com, actually. Uh, this is, is news. I did not know this. We've seen the numbers since MLS started of this goal-scoring streak that Joseph is on, and he's obliterated the MLS record that he'd already tied last year. And he's been closing in on Lionel Messi from the 2012-2013 season, who scored in 21 straight matches. Well, FIFA.com chimed in all-time, period, in everything that they have. And Joseph Martinez has the fifth-longest goal-scoring streak in league matches ever, anytime, period. Gerd Müller, the German legend, scored in 16 straight. Teodor Paterik of Poland scored in 1937-38 16 straight league matches. Joseph Bikin in 1939-40, I believe in Czechoslovakia, yeah, Czechoslovakia, scored in 19 straight. 
And Lionel Messi scored in 21 straight in 2012-13. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, you need. I need you to get send me a screenshot of that, please. Um, so now Atlanta United is six points behind NYCFC, uh, three points behind Philadelphia. I think it is three points. Are they one point? I've lost track now. I'm tired. One point. One point behind Philadelphia. Uh, they're all equal on games played at this point. Uh, but Atlanta United can put some pressure on them because they will play San Jose on Saturday. Philadelphia and NYCFC won't play until Sunday. Both tough games. Uh, one is going on the road to Dallas. The other is going on the road to Red Bulls. Both those teams are struggling, but both are at home, and they play pretty well at home. I think Dallas has won 10 at home this season, mm-hmm. something crazy like mm-hmm. that. So if the weekend results go Atlanta United's way, the last three games of the season are going to be crazy. If Atlanta wins out, They've got a legit shot at first place now. Now they they threw away the pole position on it with the loss against Columbus, but they're going to be favored in all of those matches except for the NYC match. And you have to win that one if you want to be in first place anyway. NYC has one home match left Mm -hmm. against Atlanta. Philadelphia has one home match left against NYC. Um, It's not going to be easy for either one of them to win out. And NYC can only I think they can only get they lose to Atlanta they need seven points they need two wins and a draw in their other three matches that's not easy not no. easy with what they have no coming it's, up. it's a tough schedule too I, I did something about that uh, last week or Monday I think I posted it on Monday um, broke down points per game remaining for opponents and, and schedules and everything you can find that again on Twitter uh, at Doug Robertson AJC um Somebody just sent me a message. Oh, it's Jason Longshore. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, so just to go over some of the stats here, because this was interesting, I thought. Atlanta United finished with 66% of the possession. They won, again, the duels, or as Frank says, the duels, <laughs> which that. always makes us makes me giggle. Yes, I love that. Uh, 50.5% to 49.5%, uh, 51 to 50. Um they cut the number of crosses they hit in half from Columbus. They only did 12. Much better. Uh, this time. Chances created... 11-11. Uh, was it 11-11? to 11? Yep. Yep. Uh, that is correct. 11-11, uh, to 11, uh, which they didn't have a lot in the first half. And the other thing about Joseph, he only had nine touches in the first half, yeah. which is not enough no. for Atlanta United to win. He finished with 22. Touches, so he got what uh, thirteen more thirteen in the second mm-hmm. half compared to nine in the first half. He, he still needs more. It's uh, tough when teams but, sit back. Yeah, and but the bunk—that's that's evidence of the bunkering. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Cincinnati is not good enough to do what Columbus did. Columbus played it less of a bunker and more of a counter looking for a counter. Cincinnati really didn't have a way out. They couldn't get out of their own half, except for a couple occasions. Um, Brad Gazan, two saves tonight. Had to come on some set pieces and deal with it, and he had to deal with some traffic. Uh, Leandro Gonzalez-Perez picked up a yellow card that I think was a terrible call. Yeah, the refereeing, uh, there was a couple moments in the first oh. half. The refereeing was, again, atrocious. The second half was, was just as bad, too. There were a couple free kicks that were some of the most perplexing free kicks I've seen given against Atlanta United. 
Leandro Gonzalez Perez cleared a ball and somehow fouled a player in the midst of clearing the ball, and they had a dangerous free kick out of it. And another one, uh, Frankie Amaya was was slightly bumped, stayed on his feet. It didn't even look like it affected him, and then the play was brought back to give another dangerous free kick. Strange, just strange at times. Yeah, the calls I'm referring to were the handball that Atlanta United was complaining about early in the first half, and then Leandro took a studs-up foot to the abdomen. He showed me his stomach uh, after the game, and, I mean, there are deep scratches across his stomach. The fact that the referee didn't even want to go look at the monitor. I don't know how the VAR cannot say this is a clear and obvious mistake. Go and review it. It's a red card. It is a red card. Um, Both could be red cards. Um, Yeah. It's just the refereeing, we keep hammering on this. And then Leandro gets a yellow card for I'm not even sure what. Uh, Franco got a yellow card from not sure what. Franco got a yellow for dissent. Justin Miram's yellow card was deserved. Yeah. The actual dissent from Franco, yeah, he got his money's worth on the yellow, but it was a horrendous call against him in the corner where he was fouled and somehow was called for the foul. And just, I don't know. It was a a referee who, it was his 29th match in MLS, his 12th of the season, a, a new referee, and I thought he struggled with the intensity of this match. Yeah, uh, just a couple other notes. Uh, Frank thought Tito played well uh, when he came in. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he still needs some game rhythm, uh, but, you know, it's just tough. I guess a team that bunkers. I am going to be curious if he's going to get to play against San Jose because San Jose is a team that I think Tito is tailor-made to play against. Yeah. A much better fit to me than Pitti. Um, but we will see. I, a couple things. We had a, a really unique vantage point here at Nippert Stadium. We're very high up, so it felt like a little bit of a tactical cam look at times. And a couple of things I noticed in the first half, I, I liked and really appreciated Pitti's work off the ball and in the defensive side of it because a couple times when the midfield, and something I've, I've talked about on our broadcasts, and I thought it showed against Columbus, I think it showed in the breakdown against LAFC, in that bad 15-minute stretch, the pairing of Remetti and Nagby and Heinemann at times gets too flat. It gets too much of the same. And in the first half when that happened a couple times, it was Pitti who actually dropped in and, and was very vocal in organizing. He dropped in when Remetti stepped up one time and covered the middle of the field where a six would be. And and Remetti like was kind of scampering back, and Pitti's like, I got it, I got it. And then when they switched, he's like, no, now we're good. Let's switch here. The ball's out of play. I was impressed with that type of stuff. That's stuff that we didn't see as much early in the season. And now I think he's taken up some of those more important, not quite leadership positions, but more of an organizer type of role that we've, than we've really seen him do. All right. Well, that's good to hear. Um, I, I, the lineup on Saturday has got to be interesting because mm-hmm. San Jose is a meat grinder of a team in a much, much different way than is Cincinnati. San yeah. Jose is not going to sit back. San Jose is going to press man-on-man the whole game, uh, the the opposite of Cincinnati. And so you're going to need guys that can win the one-on-one battles consistently, and if they lose them, will track back and play defense. Because it doesn't matter who wins the ball for San Jose, they're going to bring it forward. Um, That's why I think Tito might be a better fit than Pitti in this particular game. I think Dion might be a better fit than Justin Miram, who I think has looked tired. Uh, the past two games, not as effective as he was before the break. 
I, I think Julian's legs are, are gone. Or not gone, but they're, they're suffering. He's had a long season. Yeah. I don't know who they could start on that wing, though. I think you'd have to move Franco out, and yeah. then you're going to take a chance at center back with yeah. either uh, Pogler or Parkhurst or Lorenowitz. Yeah. Actually, I could see Jeff in that spot. That might be the way to play it. Um, but, you know, I'm just speculating. Anyway, Jason, what do you have upcoming? Uh, we have overreaction Thursday on soccer down here tomorrow. Not in the normal time slot at 9 o'clock because I'll be getting ready to get on a plane. Uh, it'll be at 6 o'clock, 6 to 8 on the SDH app on SoccerDownHere.net and on Spreaker. And then Doug will be joining us on Friday to make our predictions. We didn't get to do today, but I can actually show proof that I called the correct score. I said three to nothing. I, I had um, two. I had it before we kicked off. I had two and, and texted the group and then had to gloat a little bit afterwards. I didn't see the text, so it doesn't count. No, uh, no, 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 no. doesn't matter. No. It's not recorded. Anyway, it's my show. Let's do that. <laughs> I'm a guest. Uh, um, <laughs> Set the rules. <laughs> you'll have from me uh, player ratings, uh, the game story I'm working to add some quotes to. I'm going to have a sidebar on Joseph. I'm going to have a sidebar, I think, on the defense. And I'm going to have a sidebar on just kind of keeping pace with Philadelphia and New York City. But i got to get back to my hotel to do these things. we got to get back to the hotel so Mike and I can have some White Castle. So you may not hear from Jason and Mike again <laughs> because their insides are going to be liquid concrete. No, After no. they eat this. Uh, and I used to love crystals slash White Castle, but I also know that I'm a grown man and I know what it does to me and I can only guess it's going to do the same. We are celebrating <laughs> a, a big six-point night for Atlanta United because the twos won as well. Great night for Luis Fernando with a goal and an assist. Andrew Carlton with a goal as well. It's a big night. Yep. All right, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and please consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Atlanta United, two to nothing winners against FC Cincinnati. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 